how to get past the hurt. And I'll say this. I believe there's somebody here that, uh, or maybe watching, uh, that has been divorced or whatever. And, and I'm going to tell you this. You know what? Um, not to, let me say this so nobody gets offended. The Lord wants to help you so you can just put that out of your mind. He doesn't uh, condemn you or make, he doesn't want you feeling guilty about any past relationship that didn't go good. You know what? If we all made perfect decisions, we'd all be perfect. And that's none of us. So um, don't let uh, the devil uh, get a hold of your thinking process. And let me just say this. Don't get... I've said this before. Don't let somebody live rent-free in your mind. Does that make sense? Don't let somebody live rent-free in your mind. So uh, Jesus paid the price, so nobody should be living in your mind but him. So uh, anyway, don't live under guilt or condemnation. Amen? All right. Let me just pray. Father, I just thank you for our eyes being opened up to have a greater understanding and I just believe that people will be ministered today in such a tremendous way. We just thank you for the Holy Ghost. Minds and lives being transformed, I believe, from marriages and relationships, even between not only husband and wife, but also between parents and children being transformed. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about this past week, about 9-11, and how that... Uh, you know, it changed our nation. And uh, what I also realize is the days that followed 9-11, um, it, it was a different atmosphere in our nation. From 9-10 to 9-12, it was tremendously different. And um, I thought about why. It just seemed like 9-12, 13 in the days and the weeks following that uh, Democrats and Republicans got along. Baptists and Methodists and Catholics and Pentecostals and assemblies got along. People of different skin color got along. And I think, what was different? First of all, I thought, as a nation, we can do that. Are you hearing me? We can do that. We can have unity and get along with one another, no matter what your difference is between. And we're all different. Let's, I mean, let's just face it. I mean, you, we're all different. You know, people say, well, they got issues. We all got issues. We do. But uh, I was thinking about this, and I just felt like, the reason everything was different after 9-11 is because everybody's focus was different. It was not on the difference of how you're different from me, but our focus was on the good, what we can do to make things better, to help, to make our nation better. And so our focus was totally different. And the, because of that, the, I believe the mercy of God flooded our nation. That 9-12, the morning, it says his mercies are new every morning. 
I mean, there was people in New York City that I know didn't believe in God, didn't care about God, but the mercy of God flooded every soul and every person to let them know what the devil meant for evil. God was going to turn this thing around for good. I don't believe for a minute, and I hope you don't believe for a minute that God caused that to happen. I know there was even messages later on that that was the judgment of God upon uh, our nation or upon New York City. I don't believe that for a minute. My father doesn't judge like that. He doesn't go around killing people. You know, he's the one who came up with do not murder. So I'm just saying. But it's funny how, especially religious people, that, that they want to say, well, I just believe that God's judgment is, I think you need to rethink God. That's what I think. But, um, and of course, after a few weeks or months, the atmosphere did change and people went back to their ways of finger pointing, judging, being just flat out mean. I mean, I was um, in Houston getting re- at a, we were at the hotel and I got dressed and I was waiting a few minutes for Melody so we could leave to go to the church to preach and I just opened up my Facebook. That was wrong thing to do. And uh, because the first comment on there, it was like, you false prophet, you. And uh, I was impressed that he thought I was a prophet in the first place. But anyway, um, I, I just thought... It, Religious people can be just cruel and just judgmental. More than, I haven't gotten any terrible comments from people who don't go to church. <laughs> but uh, almost every week I get something negative and, uh, and I don't respond. I don't. And uh, it's just I don't want to fuel the, the flame for them to get, uh, you know, the benefit of that I really, truly care what they think. But um, I just, I believe that the days of our nation, the days of the church specifically, our future is bright because I believe we're going to understand more about the love of God than we ever had before. And I believe that's what's going to change our nation. I believe that's what's going to make lives better in America and around the world. It's not because we have the greatest politicians, the greatest government, the greatest this, the greatest that, but we're going to have the greatest revelation and knowledge of how much God loves us, and that is what will transform our nation. Amen? Amen? But um, I want to talk to you today about um, getting past the hurt, and I know that, uh, and let me just back up a minute. Let me just say this. I know, I, I don't think we should ever compromise. I... I have strong belief system, but at the same time, uh, I know this. Even in my belief system, I think we're constantly tweaking it, changing it a little bit here and there because we don't know everything. We do not know everything. But I believe, you know, for people who read the Bible, there's sometimes I read it and I get something totally different. There's sometimes I read it and I think, why did I believe that? This is this right here, boom, I don't understand. But, you know, don't be intimidated just to read the Bible just for let God speak to you. Let God speak to you. And um, I believe that uh, all of us, you don't have to be a theologian to for the Bible to change your life. 
you don't have to get, you know, I got this Bible software program. It's like gigs, gigs, if you understand computer, of information, like overwhelming, like swimming in the ocean type information. And I have all this, and man, I mean, sometimes I even get lost, and I just close it and go, smoke's coming out of my ears, you know. But you don't have to do that for the Lord to speak to you, minister to you, to reveal things to you. And uh, I enjoy that, but uh, at the same time, there's just times that I just read the Bible. I just read it. Everybody ought to just be able to read, and, and if you don't understand something, just say, Lord, I don't understand that, and keep reading. It's all right. And, um, but uh, today, I, I'm trying to get back on track. We can love anybody and everybody, and love is a choice. You do understand that, right? The people that flew into the, to the buildings, they had a choice. We all have a choice. But we also have a choice on loving people. And the thing is, God wants us to love everybody. He wants us to love everybody. And, uh, and if you're married, that includes your spouse, by the way. <laughs> oh, I'll keep preaching. Uh, but I think it's, I, I got up early this morning and I feel like the Lord says, you know what? I really want children to look at their parents differently, parents to look at their children differently, relationships uh, between friends to look at one another differently from the perspective of seeing the good in everyone. That's what changed on September 12th. People focused differently. And guess what happened? Love was in the air. It was. Love was all around us. It never left us, by the way. Love was always here. It's just that we were changing our focus. Changing our focus. And if we are ever going to get past the hurt, you're going to have to change your focus. And we've all been hurt. If you're a year older, older, I mean, even in the nursery, somebody took your bottle or a passy or something. I mean, everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been hurt by somebody. And so um, I, I, I'm going to give you the answer before I even give you the message today. So if you leave halfway, or halfway through even watching, you know, you, you can get the answer. Are you ready for the answer? This is it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want to, you, now, depending on how you function, we all function differently, but I have to have reminders. You know, I'm not so ooky, spooky, spiritual that an angel sits beside me and elbows me and goes, you really shouldn't meditate upon that. It's never happened. Maybe it has with you, but it's never happened to me. But, uh, I, on my phone at 12.01, I have an alarm go up, goes off, and I look at it, and it says, oh, Christ in you. So I think, time to meditate on Christ in me. You may want to put an index card on the refrigerator, that place that you go to every day. You may want to put uh, it on your sun visor. You want to maybe put it on your husband's forehead. You may just put it someplace so you just get to in, inside of you. Because that is the answer to get past your hurt. That is the answer to cause you to have a happy life. 
I mean, let's face it, as long as we're hurting, we're not happy. And I know you, everybody hears, hears that term, if mama ain't happy, nobody is happy. And uh, it's not true at all. It is if you believe that. Whatever you believe is going to be true for you. Whatever you believe, that will be true for you. It doesn't mean that it's true for everybody. It means it's true for you. I don't believe that, so it's not true for me. I believe that God has a plan for every person on this planet to be in happy and joyful and have victory no matter what's going on or no matter how many people hate them. If the whole world hates you, sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> Where are all the good people? You get on social media and it's like that. You go, <laughs> you scrolling down and you go, I hate you, 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 you. And it's just like, wow. Sometimes you just have to go click, turn it off. But I believe God has it designed that you can be happy no matter what is going on on the outside. And the way for that to happen is to have a revelation of Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It says, living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hopes filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. I think that would include you and me. He wants everyone to know. What does he want everyone to know? This mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That will be a revelation that sets you free and calls you to have happy day. Oh, happy day. I should have been a singer. But anyway, and all my family says no. Colossians, uh, the New Living Translation says this, for God wanted them to know. That the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. Amen. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. And let's face it. Like I said, everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been hurt. If you've been married more than six months, you probably got offended by your spouse. And if you haven't, come to me after a year. We've all been offended or hurt by a spouse, by a friend, by an employer, maybe a pastor, maybe this pastor. We've all been hurt. But is it possible to live past the hurt and have joy in spite of the hurt? Is that possible? I believe it is. 100% I believe it is. The reason that most of us struggle is that we need to have the revelation that first of all, first of all, not only is Christ in us, but we're dead. Have you ever seen a dead man offended? Have you ever seen a dead man struggle with sin? Have you ever seen a dead man struggle with sickness? You can get cancer cells or any kind of virus and pour it upon a dead corpse, and he's not going to start twitching or anything. He's not, it's not going to affect him. You can throw porn pictures on that, and his eyes aren't going to pop open. I mean, it's not going to affect him. 
It's not going to affect him. Why? Because you, the curse, sin, or anything cannot and will not ever affect a dead person. There's a truth in that for you and me today. There is a truth in that. And Paul wanted this truth to be known. Every place he preached, he said this. And to the Colossian people, he said, you died with Christ, Colossians 2.20. To the believers in Rome, he said, we died with Christ, Romans 6.8. To the Corinthian church, he says, we died, 2 Corinthians 5.14. To the Galatian church, we've been crucified, Galatians 2.20. He kept telling me, hey, you're dead. And people think, well, this is really not good news. Oh, it's great news. Because in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, it's not I that liveth. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. So the great thing about knowing that you're dead, when something comes against you that is not good for you, you are supposed to know that you are dead to that. Sickness? A symptom comes on you, I'm dead to that. Poverty, lack, I'm dead to that. You know, you can't, I mean, no, you, it's hard for a dead man to get depressed over his finances. <laughs> Getting people to understand. You know, and, and I think we all in our past, maybe even in our present um, we tried sometimes to get people to conform to be like us. And that's just not a good place to be. We want people to be like us. If God wanted that, he would make everybody just a certain way. But there are certain people who like certain things, certain people who, who dress a certain way, who like certain foods, who like fun types of things, certain things to do. But we try to get people to conform to us or, which this is a terrible thing, I think, is making ourselves conform to other people so other people will like us. I've done that. Have you done that? That's terrible. Because you do, then you're not you. You're not you. But you know your friends want you to be a certain way. They just want you to be a certain way. Like the teenagers that I hung around with, um, are my kids in here? No, good. But the teenagers I hung around with when I was growing up, you know, I, I, I was a, a pretty easygoing, Bible-toting, church-going teenager. Um, I hated church, but I went every Sunday because I knew that's what you're supposed to do. And I didn't want to go to hell, and I didn't want God to get mad at me, so I went to church. Isn't that sad? That's pretty sad. It's really sad. But uh, I remember I went to this wedding, and uh, they, they, it was a wedding. They were, um, had a disc jockey, and they were playing music or whatever. And uh, as soon as the first note hit, we were all eating, eating at, you know, round tables, really, really, really. Actually, I was not a teenager. You know whose wedding it was? It was Papa John. His wife, or at that time his fiance, she worked at FedEx and I trained her. And so uh, we became good friends. And so she invited me when she was getting married to John Snyder. She uh, became Mrs. Papa John. So I went to this wedding. And uh, 
we should probably edit this. But anyway, I uh, just thought, where are you going and what are you going to say? Here we go. Soon as, I mean, there was hundreds of people there because he, he was popular and everything, you know, and she was popular. And so as uh, soon as the songs or the, the disc jockey started, I jumped up on the table and started dancing. And I was not drunk. Just so everybody's perfectly clear, I was sober. I, I, I was sober as all get out. I mean, and everybody, and I did that, and just people were just cracking up laughing, and it was funny, and I was funny, and I just thought, I'm just doing this because of everybody. I later, I didn't at that time. At that time, I was just being wild and crazy. But, I mean, we do things just to get people to like us. Let me just set you free. Just be you. Whatever that is. Only you know that, by the way. God created you very uniquely. Nobody has your fingerprints. Nobody has your voice print. Nobody has your, your iris. No, you are you uniquely created by your creator to be you. So just be you. Just be you. If you die as an imitator, it's going to be a cheap imitation, by the way. Because you can't be somebody else as good as they can. I just set somebody free. But anyway, don't force your convictions on, upon people. Church-going people, try to, we try to do that. We shouldn't. You shouldn't. Jesus didn't do it. He didn't force his convictions upon people. Don't get me wrong. It's fine to tell people your convictions. But if they don't embrace them, you still need to love them. That's the Christian thing to do, by the way. That's the Christian thing to do. Even when people disagree, I think the church is, in these, these days in which we live, my goodness, it's fierce, ferocious, fire-breathing, you know? I mean, they don't believe in, they believe in sprinkling. We believe in dunking. Donuts. But anyway, they... People believe differently. And so we just like, we just put up this force shield like Star Trek and nobody can get in. Shields up. You don't believe like me, so I don't want anything to do with you. How did we get to this place of just being fierce that if you don't believe exactly like me, then we cannot have any kind of fellowship. Jesus didn't teach this. Religion has taught us this. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm going to go to a church where I feel like I, I, they pretty much believe and all of that. But let me just say this. I'm preaching stuff today that 10 years ago I disagreed with. <laughs> I'm going to quit the church. Oh, wait a minute. I'm the pastor. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? How, I guess there's no better way to say than we just need to chill out a little bit. Christians need to chill out. I'm, if you come here longer than six months, you're probably going to hear something. You, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. You know, I don't know. That's okay. Talk to God about it. I'm going to tell you this. You can disagree with me and still come to this church. You won't be excommunicated. I've never kicked anybody out. You can disagree. Like I said, 10 years ago, I disagree with a lot of stuff that I'm preaching today. 
a lot of stuff. This grace message and, and just God loves you no matter what. Man, 10 years ago, I just thought, I have to work to please God. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And, or I'm not going to make him happy. And I know he wants to be happy. So I have to work harder to make God happy. Really? That is, that's just bombing. It is. It's throw up. God does not believe that, think that way. And yet I did. I'm the pastor of a church and I'm preaching this. You all, we need to work harder and pray and believe and fast and just quit sinning. You bunch of sinners. That is so horrible. And we're supposed to be preaching the good news. Where is that at in churches today? The good news. The good news should be good news. How many believe, can you believe that? How many agree that good news should be good news? I mean, that's not a trick question. Good news should be good news. There is a lot of good, this, the word of God is good news. Amen. Which means that we must be telling it wrong because people should be wanting to hear it. Come on now. People should be wanting to hear the good news. And if they're not hearing good news, there may be a problem, Houston. Maybe we're not preaching the right thing. But anyway, we shouldn't be little people, throw people under the bus that don't believe just like us. And I remember it, it started in the Air Force, but it's been forever, you know. When, you, when I was in the Air Force, you know, I, my pilot, co-pilot, navigator, and those guys, you know, they, they would get coffee. I would get my coffee, and I'm the youngin' in the group, you know. I would put milk and sugar and doctor it up, and they go... Real men drink black coffee. <laughs> I just thought about it and I go, oh well, I ain't drinking it black. And then years later, you know, I started about the last 30 years, I put honey in it instead of sugar. I put honey and milk in it and everything. And I hear people like that, eh, real men drink their coffee black. You know what? I've come to the conclusion after all these years, real men drink coffee the way they want to. That's what I've come to the conclusion. So if anybody tries to pressure you, real women do this, real men do this, real not, you know, the real people do what they're, I want to do this, not because of what you said, not because of this one said, it's because I want to do it. There you go, yeah. That was Kentucky right there for you. That was Kentucky. Every once in a while Kentucky comes out, I'm sorry. But anyway, you can work on finding your confidence or you can let Jesus be your confidence. And I'm just determined that Jesus is my confidence. I don't have to try to find it through people. And I need this or I need a pat on the back. I'm not, no, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. But, and because of that, that's going to help you get past every hurt. And it's going to, and let me just say this. If you're hurting, you're not going to be living a happy life. So you do need to get past the hurt. If there's hurt in your life that you're hanging on to, I mean, I talk to some people sometimes, and you talk to them, and it's like, oh, you, they're talking about their ex. And the way they're talking, you think, oh, so did you get divorced, you know, last month, this past few months? No, it was back in 1973. <laughs> honey, honey, Jesus wants you to be healed. He's paid the price for you to be healed. You need to get healed. <laughs> right, man? You need to be happy. God, first of all, just to make sure we're on the same page, you do think that your Heavenly Father wants you to be happy. 
You know, every parent uh, wants their children to be happy. There's not a good parent. It wouldn't be a good parent if that parent says, you know, I just want you to be depressed. So you can just learn to be humble and just, you, ooh, have a terrible life. That's just what I want for you. No, you wouldn't be a good parent. This is what I, I just put, my filter is this. I want my children to be blessed. I want them to be healthy. I want them to be happy. And that's me as a parent. And then God, I hear him in the background, do you think you're a greater or a better parent than me? Do you think you're a better parent than me? So you think I would want less for any of my kids to be healthy, blessed, and happy? I would go, no, Lord, I would never think I'm a better parent than you. He says, I want you to be not only happy, I want you to be pressed down, overflowing happy, that you're so happy people are just like, man, that guy, he's just too happy. People should complain about you being too happy. That's why there's nobody complaining these days. There's not too many people like that. God wants us to be happy. And yet I know that even in our founding fathers in Declaration of Independence, it says that Americans would have the right to the pursuit of happiness. That's even in our foundation. Well, honey, I think we should understand that our pursuit of happiness is on the inside of us. It's on the inside of us. And happiness is not having the right circumstances, the right people, Everybody perfect around us, then I'll be happy. You know, singles say, when I get married, I'll be happy. <laughs> if you ain't happy now, whoo, you're going to be doubly miserable when you get married. And for those who are married, if I could just be single again, I'd be happy. No, you, 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 it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. And we need to quit blaming people for our unhappiness. Everybody breathe in, breathe out. Don't blame people. And we've all done that. Well, maybe not. I, I've done that. If she would just do this, if my kids would just, if the dog would quit peeing, I mean, if everything would, I mean, then I would be happy. Don't. Because the devil will keep you in that frame of mind and you'll never be happy because things won't go right. And I know there's, I'm not going to talk much on this because a part of this is to, to forgive. Jesus said to forgive even as your father has forgiven you. But this is why I don't want to concentrate so much on that is because if you have the revelation of Christ in you, you're never going to have a problem forgiving. Did you hear that? If you're having trouble forgiving your ex or your employer or your pastor or your dog or somebody who t-boned you and you know if you're if you're having trouble forgiven then you just need a greater revelation of how much God has forgiven you and he forgives you all the time whether you ask for it or not he forgives you you need to understand that well as far as getting past the hurt the scripture came to my mind in Psalms 27 10 it says when my father and my mother forsake me I will go on some Oprah Winfrey talk show and complain about it. That, isn't that what everybody does? If they get hurt or something really bad happens, they go on some talk show. 
But this is what the Bible says. Then the Lord will take care of him. God will take care of you when even your parents forsake you. God will never forsake you no matter what. And I, I, I mentioned this in first service. I'll mention it to you. Because, you know, when Jesus hung on the cross, people talk about this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I've thought most of my life that God forsook Jesus on the cross. And the reason we all believe that is because he forsook Jesus because he couldn't uh, associate with sin. Because he who knew no sin was made sin, so therefore there had to be a separation. It's not true. It's not true. God does not separate himself from sin. I know we've probably been all taught that, but he doesn't. If he does, he ain't on this planet. <laughs> oh. You said, well, what does that mean then when, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This, you have to know the culture of the Jewish people at that time. This is what Jesus was getting everybody to realize. He was trying to tell everybody, you have rejected me as the Messiah. But I'm going to bring something to your attention. I'm going to bring something to your attention that will prove that I am the Messiah and the prophets of old knew what was going to happen and prophesied about what is transpiring this very moment. So he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As soon as the Jewish people heard that, they knew Psalms 22. They knew the Psalms. In other words, if I said, uh, you leadeth me beside the still waters, what would you, what would you think? Not a trick question. Psalms 23. So as soon as they heard Psalms 22, 1 came to their mind. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They knew that. That's what it says in Psalm. Jesus was quoting Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, helping me, and from the words of my groaning? So he was quoting that. And then you should really read this in the Passion Translation. Oh, my goodness. It's a slap you upside the head revelation. Psalms 22, it talks about uh, forsaking and that I'm just a worm and how they pierced my hands. It's a prophetic psalm about Jesus. But in verse 24, can you pull up verse 24? He says, for he is not despised nor hard, uh, the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. Doesn't sound like he's forsaken, does it? Are you hearing me? God didn't forsake Jesus. First of all, it would, how can the, the, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, how, who are one, how can you separate oneness? You cannot when it comes to the Godhead. You cannot. You get to heaven, honey, God the Father is going to have pierces in his hands. Jesus has pierces in his hands. The Holy Ghost has pierces in his hands. It's because they are one and there's never been a forsaking. And God will never forsake you. He will never forsake you. He cannot forsake you. Oh, my goodness. I had more time for service, it seems like. 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. 
He says this, love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. I want you to think, this is not just what God wants you to treat people. This is the way your Heavenly Father thinks about you. Did you get that? This is what God's love is toward you. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. You don't tick God off easily. God doesn't get offended at you because you did something wrong. He would be going against the love chapter if he did, by the way. He goes on to say, love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. In other words, love will overlook offenses and remain focused on what is good, refusing to hold resentment in our heart. God will never resent or hold resentment towards you. He'll never be offended about anything that you do, period. I don't know, but that just makes me feel good. It just makes me want to love God more. I can't tick him off. I don't have to. You, we all have relationships probably where you have to walk on eggshells around a certain person. Like, you know, like, oh, wow, what did you do to your hair? What do you mean, what did I do with my hair? Sorry. That whole thing about walk on eggshells. We don't like that. Trust me, God wants you and I to have a relationship with him where you know you don't have to walk on eggshells around him. And that that should just set us free. Uh, I didn't even get to my main point like I did the first. I'm going to get to it real quick. All right? Can you tone him, her down just a tad? I'm going to do this real quick. There was a research done by Harvard. And uh, it was the longest research ever done concerning behavior. And the the research that was done is about uh, why people are happy or not happy. First of all, they asked millennials, over 80%, what are the most important life goals that you have? What are some of the most important things, life goals that you have? 80% said they wanted to get rich. 80% wanted to get rich. Over 50% said to become famous. So that's two most important things, become famous. And um, so uh, infamous, yeah, same thing. So this uh, psychiatrist, Robert Waldinger, he was the director of this study. It was done over 75-year study. It was started in 1938, 1938. And they um, wanted to know the secrets to happiness. That's what the study was, secrets to happiness. And so for over 75 years, they interviewed uh, or studied 724 men, 724 men. And uh, they asked them questions and interviewed them every two years. But, and they had those over 75 years, it was over 2,000 children involved that they also brought in to their study that they had. The men had 
children, grandchildren, whatever. They tracked two groups of men. Are you ready? Listen quick, because I'm going to talk quick. They tracked two different groups of men. Uh, 268 of them were Harvard sophomores, straight from Harvard. The second group was 456 kids aged 12 to 16 in the poor suburbs or inner city, not suburbs, poor inner city uh, parts of Boston, the poorest of the poor. 456 and so they studied them and uh, I mean it was intense they uh, and it included their physical health they took chest x-rays blood tests urine tests echocardiograms and they just really studied these people their whole life Uh, these men became adults they entered all walks of life they became different uh, jobs And some of them went up the ladder. Some of them came down. Uh, They interviewed their children, videotaped their conversations with their wives about their deepest concerns. Later, their wives became part of the study. After tens of thousands of pages of research, tons of research that they learned, uh, this is what they came up with concerning how people or why people are happy. Are you ready? They came away with a major finding that good relationships keep us happier and healthier than anything. Good relationships. And I thought about this. This is why I think it's vitally important because I brought this over to the church realm. The greatest thing that you and I can get is that we need to have the greatest relationship possible with our Heavenly Father. And if you do that, you're going to have a healthier life and you're going to have a happier life. But listen, the church for so long, we, we walk around eggshells with our Heavenly Father. That he may, we may tick him off. And he does have a baseball swing that can knock you out of the park. I mean, there's so many things. But listen to me. If we're going to live healthy, healthy, that's happy and healthier, all healthier. If you're going to live that kind of life, you have to have a great relationship with God. He wants that and he has that for you. No matter what's going on in your life. If you mess up your life, if you think, man, I've screwed up so many things that I just don't know. You go to your Heavenly Father and He will always bring you up and put you in His lap no matter what. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care how many bad decisions you've made. I don't care if you've been divorced 17 times. Whoa. You may think about the 18th one. But anyway, my point is this. Just keep coming to God. He's never going to forsake you. He's always there for you. But uh, I I don't have time to go into it like I did the first service. But uh, the bottom line is, they said this, that loneliness kills. Jesus said this in in John chapter 16. John 16, um, verse 32. But take notice. The hour is coming and it has arrived when you will be dispersed and scattered and every man to his own home, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I've deprived it of power to harm you and I've conquered it for you. God says, look, there's going to be people that come against you, that frustrate you, that even hate you, that will be offensive towards you. But listen, I've taken the power of its ability to harm you because you know how much I love you and that I will never leave you. Did you get that? 
So your homework assignment is to meditate and concentrate on Christ in me, the hope of glory. It will heal every hurt that somebody's done to you. It will help you to forgive the person that you thought you couldn't forgive. It will help you do that. I'm telling you, God wants you to be set free. He wants you to be happy. He's the most awesome father. Listen, concentrate. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That study, you can go online and, and, and see it and, and read it about it. But it, it just went down line after line about we need relationships. We need relationships. The greatest relationship that you and I will ever have is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's the greatest. You will live a healthier life. You will live a happier life because that's what he wants for you. He will help you when you stub your toe. He'll be there to hold your foot. You know, I, I saw this picture. I think I shared it a couple of weeks ago. You know, like when a, a parent and their a toddler, or I see this with my grandkids, you know, they do something, hurt their toe or whatever. And I said, well, come here. And they pull away from me. I don't know. Come here. Come here. I, I'll hold you. I, I'll take care. And they pull away from me. The thing they need to do is just give in and say, and come up on my lap and I'll hold them and comfort them. That's the picture of your heavenly father. You mess up, you screw up, you make a wrong decision, you shoot your foot. He wants to pick you up and hold you and go, it's going to be all right. How? I don't know, but it's going to be all right. I can't answer that. But just when somebody holds you, it's a show of that they love you. You know, I go to funerals and I've done many, many funerals. And the one thing I do, I don't do a lot of talking and, and during that time when we're preparing for the funeral. I'm just there for the family just to show them that I'm there and I'm loving you no matter what. God wants you to know that he'll never forsake you and he's there to love you. When people forsake you, when people hurt you, when people do you wrong, God says, I'm here for you. He's there for you. So let's get a hold of this revelation. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen.